Hey guys, it's me, P. And me, S. And you're listening to the Girl on Girl podcast. But it's not what you think. But also, it's kind of what you think. Okay, here's the deal. My name is Persis. I'm queer, Indian, femme, and a little over five feet tall. And my name is Sarah. I'm straight, white, cis, and a proud ginger. Every episode, we're going to talk about sexuality from a queer perspective, from a straight perspective, and what it means to find the fluidity between the two. We're going to talk about taboos, labels, dating, awkward moments, pop culture icons. We're also going to talk safe sex, self-discovery, discrimination, and what it means to be a queer minority. Hi, stranger. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hello. Wow, it's been a month since I've spoken to you, since I've seen you. Yeah. Guys, we decided to take August off from the podcast, but what we didn't tell you was we also took August off from our personal relationship with each other. Um, <laughs> and we decided not to speak for four weeks. It was heaven. <laughs> it was so... It was so needed for my mental health, for my sanity. Yeah, for my safety. (laughs) Safety. Actually, I'm not even going to disclose what Sarah and I talked about today, but I, the voice notes I sent you. Oh, you're not, I'll tell them. No way. Don't. I'm not keeping that on the podcast. That is way (laughs) too personal, Sarah. If you really loved me, you wouldn't do that to me. But let's just say it was a little bit of TMI situation. So, I mean, I guess I should just say Sarah and I are totally messing with you. We still talked every day, all day to the point where I felt comfortable enough to tell her about a thing. Also, this thing that Persis is referring to that she's not going to talk about is not even remotely embarrassing or TMI. I don't know. Yes, no, it it's not. If it was like located somewhere else, maybe, but Sarah, no. <laughs> none of this is making any <laughs> sense to the listener. <laughs> Whatever. We don't make sense anyway. Okay, guys, we needed a little break and it was beautiful and we just enjoyed the summer. And you know that feeling of the end of the summer where you got that summertime, summertime sadness and you're just tired. <laughs> And you just want to enjoy the weather before it goes away because we live in Canada, as you all know. So yeah, it was a great break, but we are back, baby. We're back. We're feeling fresh and we're so excited, especially for this next guest that we have on the pod. We really wanted to, you know, start off. What would you say? Is this like a season? Is this like season season three? Should we call this our season three? Oh, that's three? cute. Yeah. It's season three of Girl on Girl podcast. For season three of Girl on Girl podcast, we wanted to really start it off with a bang. And I feel like this guest really delivered. Absolutely. The guest we're talking to today is the one and only Marley Liss. Marley is the definition of a multi-hyphenate. I'm just going to read off some stuff right now for y'all so that you know what you're about to get yourself into because it is juicy. Also, just a little side note, part of this 
conversation is going to be the constant seagulls and crows cawing in the background because I wanted to keep my window open and I live a few blocks from the beach. So hopefully it sounds peaceful and serene and maybe even romantic. I don't know. And not like there's a seagull cawing in your ear the entire time. I think it's kind of cute. You thought it was cute? Because Marley thought it was a car alarm. (laughs) But you know who I thought it was? You thought it was your love coming down the beach towards you, staring into your eyes. You know who? I know because I thought it was um, the seagull from The Little Mermaid. Oh, um, what's his name? No. Oh, what's his name? Scuttle. 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 Oh, I liked Scuttle. You're so scuttle. No, 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 no. I'm flounder. Yes, I'm flounder. No, I'm fl- Sarah. Come on. I am so flounder. Okay. You'd be, you'd probably, okay. Maybe you're not scuttle. You're Sebastian. No, I'm obviously Ariel. No, Sarah Persist. wishes, Sarah wishes she was Ariel, but she's really Sebastian. I'm flounder. I'm just, I'm trying to be real with you. I'm going to tell everyone about Marley. Okay. <laughs> this is what happens when we take a break we start fighting okay continue we start fighting i want to fight with you baby me neither okay so marley is a somatic coach which she explains exactly what that means in the episode it's really interesting she's also an award-winning speaker an author and a restorative justice advocate if you don't know what restorative justice is she also tells us all about it in this episode and it's fascinating. I am so excited to research it more and watch all the documentaries and read all the books. Um, Marley is also a lesbian, which we love here at Girl on Girl. And she is Jewish. She actually made history in the justice system when her sexual assault case became the first case in North America to conclude with restorative justice through the courts. And she explains what that means. And it is so freaking cool. Um, The story is, is really beautiful and heartbreaking and all the things. And since then, Marley has coached hundreds of women and non-binary folk in reclaiming sensual empowerment. So that's the other huge part of what Marley does is trauma-informed pleasure and um, sensual reclamation. And trust us, we dive into all of that because you know your girls wanted to talk about (laughs) self-pleasure. All the pleasure, really. As a speaker, Marley has presented for the U.S. Military Sexual Assault Response Team on an elite panel for the National Action Plan to End Gender-Based Violence, Fordham School of Law, University of Toronto, and more. Guys, it never ends. But the coolest part, I mean, maybe not the coolest because it's all cool, but currently Marley's story is being made into a documentary directed by Kelsey Dura, and she recently co-founded the Fuck Combat Support Group, which we already talked about in our conversation with Eva Bloom, which you can find a few episodes back. So if you go back into the Girl on Girl archive, um, our conversation with Eva Bloom talks all about compulsory heterosexuality and what that support group is all about. Exactly. And we're going to link all of Marley's socials for you guys to listen to, but you can learn all about Marley's story at www.marleylist.com. And I mean, listen, this conversation was so eye-opening and both Sarah and I learned so much. And I just want to say like, Marley, thank you so much for shedding light on a topic that is very, very heavy and something that you've experienced yourself. And you were able to take this 
and truly turn it into a movement and inspire others. And she's just the definition of like someone who wears multiple hats and just a straight up like fire sign badass. She's a G. And I mean, if it wasn't clear by this point, we just want to make it very clear. Trigger warning in this episode for sexual assault, um, for trauma, for rape. Uh, We talk about all of these topics in this conversation and it does get a little bit heavy, of course, um, but it's a really important conversation. And um, Marley is very candid and transparent about her personal experience. So if you have dealt with any of these things in the past or it's something that's close to you in any way, take whatever time you need before you jump into this conversation. But we promise you, you're going to get something amazing out of it because Persis and I both did. So we're really, really honored that we were able to share that story today. Mm-hmm. The seagull is going off. Do you the hear seagull that? The seagull is going off. The seagull <laughs> is actually giving off a trigger warning. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. Yeah, Scuttle, Scuttle's out there being like to the neighborhood. Yes, to the <laughs> neighborhood. the second part of that word. <laughs> to the neighbor. But anyway, guys, we're so excited to be back. Thank you for being patient with us at Girl on Girl. Sarah and I did need a little bit of a break, rest ourselves and check in with ourselves. But we're so excited. You know what we mean. I mean, hey, like, you know, really, really check on in there. Oh, oh God. Okay. Well, before I go off on a tangent, um, Marley, once again, thank you for being a part of this conversation. And we're really excited to dive into this. Okay, Marley, we are so excited to talk to you. I don't know if Persis told you this, but we took the whole end of the summer off. Like all of August, we just completely signed off from the world and took a big break. And we're coming back in September and you're our first conversation. We're coming back with, we were like, it has to be good. It has to be great. It has to be Marley. I feel so special. And I'm like, oh my God, I don't want to let them down. (laughs) But I You're the last person who would let us down. (laughs) Oh, that's good. Breaks are good. I feel like breaks are really important. And summertime is a good time for breaking. My whole birth chart is fire signs. So I feel like it's like very hard for me to not do stuff. Okay, wait. Tell us the chart though. (laughs) When I found out you were all fire, I was like, that makes so much sense. (laughs) It's wild. Okay, so I'm Sun Sagittarius moon and rising Aries which really makes people be like I'm scared of you but I'm, I don't think I'm very scary like I think I'm a very non-intimidating person but I'm definitely I can definitely be like Aries aggressive when it comes to like purpose and my work and I'm like nothing's gonna stop me and my dreams kind of vibe um and then I have Mars Leo I do have a dash. The only other thing I have is a dash of Scorpio, like Venus and Scorpio, which is basically like, I feel like Scorpio is the fire sign of water. Mm-hmm. Oh. They're very, very intense. Um, I'm a, a sun Aries. And so I get along really well with other fire signs, especially other Aries. Yeah. Hey. hey. And then Chris is a Libra, which means she gets along with everyone. So, yeah, you do go along with everyone. I do. You yep. truly do. 
It's your very like, yeah, Libras are, Libras are very much like the social butterflies, but also like love peace and fairness. So I think that's probably why we get along with everyone. Cause we see like the side to everybody's story and we'll like justify it in some way. It's really, yeah, yeah. I feel like literally when we parted from having dinner, like 20 minutes ago, the last thing you said was like, there's two sides to every, there's a side to every story. <laughs> and then I was like, my lift is here. I have to go. <laughs> I true? gotta go. That's like, <laughs> oh, it literally true. was that. That's yeah. why I exit like every conversation when Persis is justifying something someone did that I'm like, you don't need to justify that. I'm like, listen, my lift is here. I gotta go. I gotta leave it this conversation. It really was there. It wasn't just like an escape. It truly was there. <laughs> okay, Marley, let's dive into it. For anyone who doesn't know who you are, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself, your pronouns, and how you identify? Yeah, so my name is Marley. My middle name's Sarah with an H, by the way, so we're kind of twinsies. Um, identifiers, pronouns, she, her, um, Jewish, femme, lesbian. Uh, we already went over birth chart, so that's clear um yeah I can share like a few things I do identifiers as well so I'm a somatic coach I am a restorative justice advocate I'm a speaker all of a sudden which was like something that kind of birthed out of the pandemic and now is IRL and I'm like oh we're actually doing this so that's cool um I have a background in somatic sex education and I do a lot of work online like supporting women and non-binary people and trauma-informed pleasure and reclamation after shitty experiences and all that good stuff and a lot of community building and I'm also a dancer and I want to pop my booty to Britney Spears I didn't know you were a dancer <laughs> is that something I should have known oh my god well I guess it's not like so I grew up in competitive dance like I grew up full force like if you've ever seen dance moms that was my life and I was like gonna pursue dance I actually like I know Persis you'll love this I feel like Sarah will probably but I got to like dance and work with Britney Spears choreographers in LA for summers. wait I didn't <laughs> know that that's yeah, so cool. It was like amazing. And then I kind of just randomly 180 and was like, I want to make an impact in the world. And like I started studying social work and I got into like eating disorder prevention work. And then that evolved into like through life experience, which we'll get into, it evolved into like sexual violence response and prevention and then queer advocacy. So it was just a very abrupt, like, I'm going to keep dancing for sure, but it's not going to be my and mm-hmm. don't be all whoa girl can you show us a little um a move <laughs> I hate when people do this to people can you show us a dance move to prove that you're good at it <laughs> oh my god I can't because my laptop is finely balanced on like a ridiculous pile of pillows kind of vibe <laughs> so that I could be on this couch with the little Sunday gal but I can share videos. I, I am very proud that I went to Toronto's lesbian owned bar this past weekend and I danced on the bar and I did, I dropped into the splits on the bar and it was very- Is there fun. a video of this? Yeah. <laughs> there is a video. Wait, guys, which bar? Give it, a, give it a shout out. Yeah, it's called Lavender Menace and it's so cool. I'm like, 
everyone, everyone go. It's really cool. They had a coyote ugly themed party. Purse, were you there? No, I was, I was at Colty that night, but Marley told me about it and I saw the video and I was like, you have no idea how bad I would, I would have been there on the bar with you. (laughs) That would be so fun. You would be next time. Um, before we continue, I just wanted to circle back. You mentioned you were a somatic coach for anyone who doesn't know. Can you just explain briefly or not briefly what that means? Yeah. So somatic break down the word starts with soma. Soma basically means body. So it's like, you know how in therapy land, love therapy so much also in school to be a therapist, but in therapy land, we often like just talk about mind and we're like what are you thinking what do you want to do in the future and somatic coach kind of brings our bodies into the picture so it's like a lot of guiding people into what are you feeling right now what are you noticing in your body where might you be holding tension that you can let go of like how might past experiences be expressing themselves in your breath or in your sex life or in your orgasm or things like that and I feel like as a dancer, you've already kind of been trained a little bit to be in touch with your body. So that must have felt like a little bit cathartic to return to that that you've been doing since you were a kid. Yeah, that's so true. And I just think there's so many, I'm sure we'll get into this more, but there's so many things that like disconnect us from our bodies, whether it's like trauma or body image or conditioning or even like appearance anxiety and wanting people to think we're cute and stuff like that like there is literally studies that show that since social media has blown up we've more than ever developed something called third person perspective which means that we have trained ourselves to see ourselves through someone else's eyes so I can like sit here and instead of feeling my body from the inside out and like feeling like the couch below me and stuff like that, I can be more focused on like, wow, what's Persis seeing when she looks at me or what's Sarah seeing? And it just like totally takes us out of our own experience. So this work of just being like, what are you feeling in your body is so simple, but so huge for so many of us. I really resonate with that. Me too. Yeah. And I think it's so subconscious mm-hmm. like we we might not be realizing we're doing that when we're doing that yeah yeah we definitely don't realize it's just like it's something we've like flexed just like a muscle we flex like so much that it's just like involuntarily doing its thing and most of us like yeah most people and I have this too if I'm like what are you noticing in your body we're often like whoa I don't know like I hadn't thought about that right Yeah, I never thought of it that way either, but I wonder if there's ways to like kind of unlearn that. And I would would love to. I'm always thinking about like what someone else sees (laughs) rather than just how am I feeling? Yeah, I think it's so important to like not shame ourselves for that because it's like, it's totally okay to want validation and to want love and to want to belong and all these things. That's like very human. And then at the same time, like training ourselves to just, I mean, this comes back to what's somatic coaching. It's like a lot of it is building somatic awareness. So literally just building awareness of what's happening in your body. And it's so fucking cool because you start to remember that like, we have all these incredible instincts and we can like have our own, like, like, you know, the listen to your gut stuff. Like I feel like so many times in my life when I used to cross my boundaries 
so much and then not realize until like days later like I'll be like oh why have why was I so uncomfortable and then days later I'm like oh my god like I crossed my boundaries I said yes to something when I wanted to say no it's like when we build that somatic awareness like on the spot we're like oof something's off right now I feel it I notice it I value it so I'm gonna listen to it and like communicate and act on that Sarah looks like your your mind is blown. I'm just like looking at Sarah and she's like, it's, it's mostly blowing my mind because Marley, I literally was having this conversation with a friend of mine yesterday, this exact conversation of, yeah, a few days later, sitting there being like, I said yes to something I didn't, my body didn't actually want. And I didn't, I thought I was listening to my body and I actually wasn't. And it's, and it's been just in my mind for a few days and I really want to talk to my therapist about it because I feel like I might be doing that a lot in my life in all sorts of different ways. But like mm-hmm. everything you're saying is like verbatim yeah. what I've been thinking about for the last 48 hours. Oh my God. That's weird. It's, well, <laughs> it's that's so cool. It's yeah. so it's so like, yeah, so many of us, I feel like women and non-binary people especially have that conditioning of like disconnection and prioritizing other people's experience and I actually just like wrote a blog post for this cool sexual wellness brand on like compet and somatic stuff basically being like basically being like if I had somatic awareness at a younger age like if I worked on that and wasn't taught all that leave my body stuff I would have known I was gay so much younger like the body cues mm. that I missed because I was like not paying I wasn't paying attention to my body I was like looking around for approval and taking like notes on who I should be attracted to based on like who was on the cover of J14 magazine you know what I mean instead of being like what am I feeling in my own body right now that's something I relate to so hard and why I mean it took me up until like 25 to really realize purse you gay girl like you are just gay because I could feel it in my body like the way I'd be with women compared to men was like literally night and day so actually wanting to bring it back to queerness because I found that like connection so interesting when we talked about like the somatic healing but do you remember when you first realized you were queer and did you have like an aha moment um my first explicit like obvious, I still denied it, but it's quite undeniable. Um, gay sign is like really funny. <laughs> Most of them are. <laughs> it's, re- it, but this one's like, I can say this one's exceptionally funny. Okay. <laughs> so I like, okay. In hindsight, there's definitely things before this that I'm like, oh, okay. That's obvious. Like things like growing up and just being totally disinterested in guys like not not having crushes for me I was always like well that has nothing to do with sexuality I just love dance I was like I'm just obsessed with dance dance is like I eat breathe love dance that's why I don't care so dance is life dance is life I literally almost got live love laugh dance no no (laughs) thank god my mom was like you're not oh my god but (laughs) so there was like stuff like that but those things never made me be like, oh, I'm gay. It was just like dance or I could explain it away with other things. Um, but, and it is, it is kind of mixed in with trauma where like I didn't have these 
very obvious queer thoughts until after trauma. And that was very confusing because I was like, it was very easy for me to discount it and to be like, well, this isn't real. It's just some weird trauma response. Like that happened a lot. But the thing that's funny is that I basically around this time where I was like, oh, like maybe I am. I literally had a dream that is so it's so ridiculous that two vulvas touched and a lightning bolt went up into the sky and charged the world. <laughs> Just like scissoring, like save the planet, essentially. <laughs> Wait, isn't that isn't that what's gonna save the planet? Yeah, dream. That's I think it is. And I still managed to wake up and be like, that doesn't mean anything. That should be like a TV show. I feel like that should be like, um, like Big Mouth should make that like a episode where like two vulvas touch and save the world. It is. Yeah. It should definitely be like a paint. I actually feel like that'd be such a beautiful painting. I'm going to get that tattooed. Yeah. Wait, is that the next tattoo? Yes. Live, love, laugh, dance. And you woke up and you were just like, no biggie. Yeah. I mean, I can just keep going with like coming out vibes because it, I definitely wasn't like, oh, I'm attracted to, I was like, I'm straight. Like that happened. So, okay. I can just share like the chronological thing of that. So around that time, started questioning, had that dream, had very obvious signs, things like this. And was also just constantly like, I hope I'm not gay. And like in hindsight, like that's a gay sign. Cause it's like a straight person's not up at night, tossing and turning, being like, I hope I'm not gay. It's just like not a thing. So yeah, that happened. And then with like so much, compassion to myself and these are all things that I definitely didn't feel at the time but through lots of like therapy and healing I'm like able to see with a lot of compassion but I kind of just put it on a shelf I was like I do know I'm confused about this but I also literally just went through sexual trauma and I just don't have the capacity to like navigate a sex like own my queerness and unpack all of that right now so kind of knowing what I was doing I was like I don't want to think about this for a while and I kind of just like suppressed it put it on a shelf and was like I'll revisit this later so in that time I kept like acting straight but I was also doing a lot of healing around the somatic stuff of like my own relationship to my body my own relationship just to sexuality through like self-pleasure and learning my own likes and dislikes and feeling safe in my body like all that kind of stuff and I feel like naturally through doing that like I was saying I became more and more aware of what was happening in my body so eventually I think I just shared with a friend like oh you know like I've thought before about being with women or things like that and she was like well it's okay to be bi like you can be (laughs) bi and I was like oh I was just like, oh, okay. So I never questioned, like, am I attracted to men, though? I was just like, great, like, always have been with men. Now I'm adding in some genders, therefore I'm bi. And so I was like, quote, quote, bi for maybe a year and a half. And I was with, like, men still at the time. 
And then when I like actually started dating a woman, I was like, so enraptured. It was like so intense. Whereas with men, I had always been very like, this is great. But like the most important thing to me is my dreams and my purpose. And like, I'm just a strong, independent woman. And I just like, can't be tied down. Like that was kind of, and to the point where I thought I was kind of cold hearted. I was like, am I just like, do I just not do, am I like lacking care or something? Mm, Interesting. And then the first time I was actually like dating a woman, I was like, oh, this is not the case here. I'm like (laughs) very invested and emotionally like in this. And so that made me be like, okay, interesting. And then I still just left it. I was like, I'm still by. And then it wasn't until months later when a friend said to me, um, she was like, I'm questioning if I'm lesbian like about her and she had discovered the I'm sure you've talked about it on your pod before but like the master doc like the am I a lesbian she had discovered that and she was like let me tell you why I think I might be a lesbian she started saying all these things and I was like oh this is me (laughs) I was like oh this is me um and then like the actual Correct. Like one thing specifically that she said that really like was a big moment was she said, the doc says something like picture yourself with a man, not just sexually, but like spending so much time together, being romantic, like all these things and notice how you feel. And I was like, I literally feel like I'm suffocating. Like I was like, <gasps> suffocating and then I was like now picture yourself with a woman and imagine how you feel and I was like that's so fun like I just felt <laughs> so happy and like excited and I was like okay this is kind of like pretty clear so it's, it's give and get so <laughs> <laughs> then my like actual cracking moment where it was no longer deniable was um it's also funny watching prom the musical which <laughs> prom the musical <laughs> have you not seen it is it it's, is okay. that the one on netflix james corden meryl street okay i've never full, seen full it permission to like make fun of this story <laughs> i think it's cute i think it's okay. really sweet okay. um, <laughs> i haven't seen it yet it's just really cheesy like it's so cheesy I and I cheese. actually watched it with my mom and it's like a gay movie. It's about like a girl who's gay in high school and they're like, you can't come to prom if you're gay. Like we're going to cancel it. It's like pretty, you know, and then she, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, ends up with her date at prom and they're like this beautiful gay couple and the movie finished and my mom was like, that was cute. And I was like sobbing to the point of hyperventilation. And she was like, what is going on? And you're like, like isn't this the most beautiful thing you've ever witnessed? And she's like, it was a cute movie. Like the songs were good. <laughs> so that's kind of when I was like, okay. I'm gay and I am gonna just like sit with that I took a few weeks to just like really it's definitely a theme in my life to like share things very loudly and with the world's 
before I'm ready and then that's overwhelming so with this I was like I'm gonna sit with it like I know this I'm gonna like have some therapy sessions I'm gonna read some books listen to some podcasts and then when I'm ready I'll share it with the world and like yeah by the time I shared it with the world it felt like a million pound weight off my chest instead of like something just terrifying so that was wow did you tell your mom in that moment when you were sobbing or did you hold off for a bit so you could regroup I did some like weird thing where in when she tells the story she's like you came out at that moment but actually what I did was I was like mom I think I might be a lesbian and that's something I'm just like questioning right now right so yeah it was like that yeah you you uh, eased into it I yeah I think I just wasn't it's yeah and like now I'm like oh my god I fucking love being a lesbian so much I love being a lesbian like I love it that makes me so incredibly happy I do. I love it so much. And like every single day, I'm so grateful to be gay and live my gay life with my gay girlfriend by the gay village in Toronto. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. 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 <laughs> it's interesting, um, like to something that used to be so scary, at least for me, like, because even to say I would wish I wasn't gay. Like, I remember I had a moment when I was in college being like, I really hope I'm not a lesbian. But now I'm like, I love being gay. I couldn't picture my life any other way. I was like horrified. Like it's so I could not even write the word lesbian in my journal. I like I'm such a journaler. I always I've journaled for like my whole life. I could not even write it. I would literally like write L. <laughs> like I couldn't couldn't do it. And I'm just like, yeah, it is so wild that this thing that once was like the biggest source of shame for me is now like one of the biggest sources of joy and community in my life. It's like wild. That's fucking beautiful, you guys. Yay. 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 That's good. <laughs> Thank you so much. Okay. We want to talk to you about all the things that you do because it's so interesting. And we both feel like we're going to learn a lot in this conversation because there's a lot we don't know about these areas. And we wanted to start with trauma-informed pleasure, which is, um, would you say probably like the main, your main focus of your work? Yeah, I'd say like trauma-informed pleasure and restorative justice, which we'll probably talk about as well. Um, Definitely. So we'll talk about pleasure, but just trauma, let's start with trauma. So a lot of the work you do is focused on trauma. If you feel comfortable sharing, how did you get involved in that work? Yeah. So like I was saying, I was, I had already 180 from dance into social work. And my in with that was a lot of issues with like eating disorders and like a lot of devastation around how um, like women, I would say, and non-binary folk now, but I didn't know that at the time, um, are conditioned. And it's interesting because to me, like there's a really big tie of like objectification and eating disorders and objectification and sexual trauma. So I feel like really, really, really studying that led me to be like really passionate about challenging rape culture and sexual violence. 
Um, yeah, so I was already like, I want to, I want to do this work. I want to like challenge sexual violence. And I had just like spent so much time with women hearing their stories. And the timing's really like long, weird because I basically planned my first workshop on like consent and like empowerment, stuff like that. And the, I started planning it. And then that night I experienced rape and for the next, I could, are you going to put like a trigger warning? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we will definitely. Okay. Cause I know that word can be like, like really like, yeah. Hit you in the gut. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. So after that, I fell into like a really, really deep depression. And for like a full year, I was like really in a bad place, like PTSD and panic attacks and like all of these things. And it really was like the lowest, lowest point of my life. Um, and then it was writing that helped me. I mean, it was a lot of things like therapy and stuff like that, but a really big part of my um, healing was writing. And I actually, it, I feel like it typically would be dance, but I was so mad at my body at the time that I, I couldn't dance. Like I didn't want to. Um, so I kind of turned to writing and I never planned to share anything I was writing, but I would like wake up in the middle of the night and just like write a really dark poem kind of thing, or just like words. And then at some point, I was with my mom and I was in this really like dissociated kind of like catatonic zoned out state. And she was like, I wish I knew what you were thinking right now. So I could be there for you. And I was like, well, maybe I'll just share my writing with her so that she can like, so that I don't have to say it. And she was just like really deeply impacted and moved by it. And then I did that with a friend who was also like, I don't know where you're at. I feel really far away from you. And then that friend was like, oh my God, this actually really helped me process some past experiences. And so that was one of the first moments where I was like, whoa, holy shit, like sharing my experience vulnerably and like what I'm going through can be impactful for other people. So that was kind of this turning point where I was like, I actually want to share my writing more. I want to share the story more. I started organizing like events. Like I organized my first big fundraiser for an organization called End Rape on Campus in 2017. And that was just like five months after that trauma. Oh my goodness. Is that true? That's not true. It was like a year. It was actually a year. Still Um, though, that takes a lot of strength. Yeah. It was like, thank you. It was, it was, yeah. I think it was like, a lot of people will be like, whoa, how are you able to focus on that at the time? But I'm like, I actually think it's a big part of what allowed me to be okay was like finding purpose and community and impact and like connection and solidarity and all those things. So yeah, so that was really big. And then, and then I just, every, everything that was helping me heal, like the somatic therapy and everything, I just became, I just was in love with it. So I started studying it and I studied somatic sex education. And then there's the whole like restorative justice piece. I could, should I get into that? Should I just keep going? We'll get into it. We'll get we into will, it. Yeah. 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 Okay. Okay. Intermission. <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to like, Cause I know there's so many different types of trauma, like 
what are the different types of trauma that someone can experience? And do you think they can all interfere with someone's like sex life and intimacy? That's an interesting question. I mean, I definitely feel like, well, I guess, okay. Yes. I feel like there's so many different forms of abuse and experiences that lead to trauma. But if we're talking from like a somatic lens, the body doesn't really know what it's from. Like the body is not like, oh, you're holding tension in your chest because you have to do your taxes today. The body is just like, oh, tension. Right. So I'm not saying those things don't matter. Like they definitely, definitely do. But like the way that trauma expresses, I think it's like less about what it is. And I think that's important because some people can be like, and I did this too. Some people go into comparison mode and they're like, well, the thing I experienced wasn't as bad as this other person. So why am I having such a tough time with it? And like, well, it's all relative because it's in the body. And so like trauma in the body can manifest as like tension and like sickness at time. Like, and I mean, tension can lead to sickness. Like something I experienced after um, trauma was like recurring UTIs all the time because I was holding so much tension. So I feel like that's kind of what the somatic lens looks at more is like what's actually occurring from it and then like how is it living in in your body and like yes a hundred percent that can affect your sex life and really common responses to trauma are like hypersexuality and hyposexuality so hyposexuality is the one that we usually see in the media more where someone's like completely shut down and kind of like feels an aversion to sexuality completely after trauma and then hypersexuality, we don't see as much representation, but it's like a very common response to trauma where you're kind of approaching sex in like a compulsive way that feels a bit like out of control and like in access. And sometimes that results in like high risk behaviors and like not thinking about your safety and things like that. Looking at hyposexuality. Is that when someone might experience a freeze response? Yes or no? And what is a freeze response for anyone who's never heard of it before? Um, definitely people in either of those experiences, hyper or hypo, can experience freeze response. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think, I mean, freeze response can happen at any point. So it can happen like in the middle of an action, right? So that's why like, it doesn't necessarily look like just like doing nothing all the time. It's like, you could be doing something and like going through your day. And then all of a sudden just be like, feel like numb or frozen or checked out. Um, so that brings to like, what actually is freeze response. And it's a same as like fight or flight. This is a survival mechanism. Um, and it's one that's like gaining a lot of awareness. I feel like people are more aware of it than ever, which is good because when we're not, I think it's really easy to go into self-blame mode. And I definitely did that. Like I for sure experienced freeze response. And for a long time, I was like, wow, like what's wrong with you body? Why didn't you do anything? Like, why didn't you fight back? And then again, like with therapy and like in hindsight and healing, it's like, oh, wow, like that was my body's best attempt at protecting me and keeping me safe. Uh, 
So freeze response can look like literally freezing, um, like not moving, kind of feeling like you're paralyzed, like you're numb um, on a smaller, um, on a less extreme level, it can feel just like zoning out all the time, checking out, not really being present. Often you're, even though your body's frozen, like your heart can often be racing and your adrenaline can be pumping. Something that's really interesting about freeze response, because a lot of us like are very quick, like I said, the self-blame thing, we're very quick to deem that as like weak. We're like, oh, why wouldn't you fight? Why wouldn't you run? Like when we look to the animal kingdom, we see freeze response all the time. And we see that and like, and it's such a brilliant thing that nature has come up with. So like if a deer is being chased by a lion and it's running and it's running and flight response isn't working. And then it's like, I know I can't take that lion in a fight. It's going to go to freeze response where it'll play dead. And the lion might be like, well, I don't want this um, dead animal. It's like not good anymore. It's dead, whatever. So it kind of like ends the hunt. And then the lion will eventually go away and we'll see something happen where the deer will get back up. It'll shake its body for like minutes and then it'll move on. And what's happening in that moment is like when we're going through a trauma or something scary, our body gets like, um, like all this adrenaline starts pumping and our heart starts to, and it's a lot of energy. And when we freeze, it's like slamming the brakes. It's like, stop all that, but we're still feeling it in our body. So then after when it's safe again, you can actually like move that adrenaline through, through movement and like shaking and breath and walking, whatever it is. And then you can like start to let that go. So when people say things like, trauma release exercise that's what they're talking about is like letting yourself complete that cycle wow I think that's such an important distinction for anyone listening who does experience freeze response or maybe is for the first time to reframe it as as actually a positive thing it's not only a way that your body's trying to protect itself but I would imagine for a lot of people, it's also like a, a symptom, a, like a um, a signal. You you might be experiencing a response to trauma that maybe you didn't even know you you didn't even know you experienced trauma. You know what I mean? Like to actually tune into your body, which is what you do in your work and your somatic work. I would imagine it's one of probably one of the biggest symptoms. Oh, for sure, and I I think that. I think that what's even more painful, potentially, not always, but often what's even more painful than trauma responses like freeze are the judgment that we have around those things. So like I was saying, being like, oh, I'm so mad at my body or like, this is so annoying. Like I've done so much healing and like, why aren't I over this yet? Like those um, like dialogues with ourselves can be so painful. So reframing it to be like, listen, like I know humans all the time forget that we're part of nature, but like nature is fucking brilliant and like designed very well. And when we like get out of our own heads and let nature do its thing, our bodies are like brilliant processes. Your bodies know how to process emotion. We see it with babies all the time, Mm -hmm. right? A baby is going to like scream until it's done screaming and then it's fine. Right. So it's like 
letting ourselves like claim that wisdom that lives in our bodies and being like, actually humans also know to shake after an experience like that and continue. But what often happens is our conditioning of what's socially acceptable overrides that wisdom. So we're like, well, it would be weird for me to shake my body for the next two minutes in public. Right. right? Like that's <laughs> what ends up happening, which is also adaptive. Like that's great. Um, but like that wisdom is there. So, so much of that somatic work is like reminding people that even in the things that feel like they suck and in those responses that you might be really frustrated and annoyed with and beating yourself up for, like there's functionality and wisdom in every single one of those responses. I find like the body so incredible, honestly. Question about some like self-pleasure tips and kind of like getting back intimate, like back into intimacy. Like what are your personal top tips for self-pleasure after someone has experienced trauma or when you're approaching like intimacy with a partner again? Cause I could imagine that could also be really tricky to navigate. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll totally acknowledge that these are like huge topics. So if anyone's to this, don't be like, whatever is said is like the end, like that's the answer. Like, no, there's like a lot. Um, Totally. Thank you for saying that. Thank you for saying that. That's super important. Yeah. And that being said, there's definitely, there's definitely things. So the thing that was biggest for me was like reframing what self-pleasure means because most of us when we hear self-pleasure we're like very quick to jump to like genital stimulation until orgasm and then you're done you might not use that wording but like that's probably what we picture and breaking it down and being like what actually is self-pleasure it's like pleasure between you and yourself so then what actually brings you pleasure and Biggest thing I would say for whether it's solo sex or with a partner is can can you like make sexuality and every part of sexuality an opportunity for reclamation and healing as much as possible? So what that can potentially mean is like for me, I was like, I really want to use self-pleasure as an avenue for healing after trauma so what did I need most at that time I needed to like feel like my boundaries really mattered I needed to feel like consent was within my control so I'd literally ask myself like is this okay does this feel okay now do I want to go slower do I want to go faster and then just the act of asking myself and then listening and respecting that was such a gorgeous avenue for reclamation that I wasn't just thinking about, but I was actually experiencing like in my body. So it became really healing to just like commit to self-consent in that way, asking, and then to really commit to um, genuine self-pleasure rather than that like habituated script of like, get a vibrator, do this. Once you're done, you're done. It's like, do that. If you genuinely want to do that, that's great. But like, there are so many ways to connect with pleasure and that could mean no touch at all. Um, Something that I do with like a lot of people I work with is we'll say like, we'll have calls where we say like, this is time for self-pleasure. 
and everyone's videos off and some people are napping and some people are dancing and some people are using a vibrator and some people are eating a pizza and some people are doing like <laughs> self-massage <laughs> i'm pizza one <laughs> but I just without a doubt it's so it's such a powerful rewiring to actually like make your desires and boundaries matter in the realm of solo sex and it's so wild that sometimes we we do the opposite like whether we've been through trauma or not it's really common to be like this is what you're supposed to do for self-pleasure I don't know but it's like that's time for you to genuinely connect with pleasure so I also think something that happens in that realm is you give yourself the space to start to build an association between pleasure and safety so something that can happen after trauma is like the feeling of arousal can become associated with like panic so self-pleasure you get to set the pace yourself a thousand percent and you can be like oh whoa I am starting to get a little bit like panicked this is a really good time to just like put my hand on my heart and just take a few breaths this is a really good time to just like shake it out. It's a really good time to do something different. It's a really good time to just like affirm for myself, like I am safe, I'm in my room, it's just me, it's okay. So that also is like really powerful to rebuild a different association. Yeah, I know there's never a roadmap for these kinds of things and everyone is unique, but do you feel like on the road to kind of reclaiming pleasure post-trauma, solo sex is a good place to start because there's no other person factored into that relationship between pleasure and safety? I don't. Or is I it don't different think, I everyone? think it's so, like, trauma and healing in general is so, like, not one-size-fits-all. And that, so I think it's, like, also I think just that okay the thing I said about self-consent feels like a really good place to start and you choose what you bring that into but the practice of being like what actually feels really loving for me right now what would actually allow me to connect with pleasure right now what would allow me to feel safe in my body right now or to feel 1% more safe in my body right now. Like these practices of asking yourself consent, that to me feels like something I can be like, everyone should weave that in. But the piece around like starting with solo sex, the reason I wouldn't be like, that's for everyone is because, for, okay, so for me, that was really healing for sure. But there's also so much value. And this is like the second part of the question around um, being with partners and intimacy, shared intimacy is like relational love and care, relational support can also be so healing. So I definitely wouldn't want to like discount that. And I also wouldn't be like, you should start with that because it's just, we're just all different. But yeah, like trauma informed intimacy can be so healing as well. And I think it's kind of the same thing. It's like, Weaving in those practices of consent and communication, I think slowing down is really important because we tend to get faster and faster when arousal is happening. And it's like, if we want to really like regulate our nervous systems and make sure we're okay, we have to have some 
patients there. Um, and then also practices of, of aftercare can be really important. So discussing with the person beforehand, like what would feel really supportive for you after this? Do you want to, in the short term, like, do you want to cuddle for a bit? Um, do you need space? Do you need me to like get out of the room and give you space? And then also in the long term, like, do you want me to check in with you tomorrow? Do you want us to keep talking? Um, things like that. And those are things that I'm like, I think all sex should be trauma-informed sex in that department. I think that is so important. Like even just you saying like having those like conversations afterwards, I think that's very, I don't know. I think that's amazing. That should be talked about more. I've never even thought about the idea of aftercare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so huge. Like <laughs> I've never even thought about bringing that concept into sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is so like, what would you like yeah. afterwards? Like, yeah. Like to check in with someone and be like, what do you, what do you need? What would make you feel good, safe? Yeah. yeah. I mean, think about doing like a huge thing with a friend. Like imagine you're accompanying, accompanying a friend to like their biggest like performance. I don't know. Like they're doing a huge business pitch for like a room full of 30 people. And they're like, it's like a big deal for them. If you were hanging out with them that day, you'd probably be like, beforehand you'd be like how are you feeling right now like are you ready like whatever what would make you like get in the headspace what would make things feel good and then the thing would be happening and then afterwards you'd be like oh my god even beforehand you might be like after this we're gonna go get an ice cream right like, right we naturally <laughs> do these things and we know we know how to do them we know how to be supportive um and that's a really big one too of what I was just saying is like like that's aftercare, but also setting the space. Like, like I was saying, what would make, what would get you in the right space for this? But the pitch thing, but like context is a really big part of trauma-informed intimacy. So what do we not want in the space? What like sucks to have in the space? Maybe there's certain music that really triggers you. And it's like, well, let's definitely not have that playing. Maybe there's like a certain deodorant smell that really triggers you. Let's not have that in the room. Maybe you actually really want the lights on and it's like socially more common to have them off, right? So just like getting clear on like what context feels safe. So taking out some triggers and then also adding in something called glimmers, which are opposite to triggers. Those are cues of safety. So those are things that you see them and you're like, I love that. Like the sun, the Sunday cow, like that makes me really happy, right? Like putting on your favorite music, lighting some candles. Everyone's different with this, but like maybe there's like a weighted blanket nearby. Maybe you like love a certain texture of sheets and you get yourself like set, like whatever it is, just like bringing in those glimmers as well. Are you saying glimmers? Yeah, so triggers are like I love that. I know it's like cute. It's very <laughs> cute. I'm going to start making a long list of my glimmers and just like every new partner I have, just like yes. immediately send them my list. <laughs> Communication. Everyone should do that. And I think mm -hmm. sometimes, I think what's cool about this is sometimes we feel too much or we feel like a burden, or we feel needy when we have all these things. I don't want this. I want this. We're like, I'm being extra or whatever. But what you're also doing is you're letting the person know that in this space, in this dynamic, it's cool for them to do that as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like share what their glimmers are. Exactly. And you can be like, here's what I love. What about you? 
I love that. Yeah, it's so cute. It's so caring. It is. I always think that's like nice anyway, because I do just genuinely want to know what the other person likes. Right. Before, after, like it just makes the whole experience so much better. Yeah. And I think so many of us have experienced non-communicative sex and it's just like full of even apart from the trauma conversation we're having it's so full of like doubt and not feeling safe and like self-confidence stuff like it it doesn't feel good it doesn't feel as good as when you're like here are my glimmers yeah what are yours well here's something I'll say it might be a little intense but I think it's important and real is like, no matter what people have been through, I also think that we live in a pretty like sexually traumatized culture. And it's like, like you're saying, like no matter what you've been through, all of us have had experiences that reflect that culture, whether it's like not communicating or it's degrading or it's objectifying or there's a lot of assumptions or scripts that people are like yeah this is what we do this is what we're supposed to do we don't know like you know and a lack of sex education and like really a lot of religious upbringing that makes us feel shame so it's like most people can really benefit from like learning about and practicing these like trauma-informed intimacy that's why I'm like all sex should be trauma-informed sex we all we all deserve that every single person yep absolutely Absolutely. Wow. I just wanted to say thank you so much for being candid with us and transparent and sharing that story about yourself and about how you got into this work because it's so important and it is so impactful. And I know that so many of our listeners are going to like feel seen and feel heard. Um, We really want to talk to you about restorative justice and how you got into that as well. But first, is there anything in the trauma-informed pleasure space that you're working on right now? Anything that you're excited about? Any new projects coming up? Yeah. So I'm going to be launching a collaboration really soon with a page called I Am Empower, which is like this really epic for survivor, by survivor organization. Um, and I, I, I can't share all the details yet, but it's going to be Ooh, like an exclusive. <laughs> it is going to be like, yeah, you did. You, <laughs> we got the scoop, Okay, we're like interrupting the scoop in every way, but we're like, we just need everyone to know we got the exclusive. I know that the interruptions are just like overwhelming excitement and I used to <laughs> Yes, they are. Um, Yeah, so it's going to be like four survivors reclaiming pleasure. So if people go to my Instagram, they can get on the wait list for that. And then just link in bio. And then I'm really excited to be doing like so many speaking engagements. This is very like long time dream come true of mine. But I'm going to be like speaking at um, PEI's Sexual Assault Awareness Week and like speaking at the Take Back Night March and doing a presentation for like the judges in a courtroom and presenting at like universities orientations on consent ed and it's just like and then also I was talking about this with purses earlier but like also my story is being made into a documentary so so wild really cool and yeah like follow me on Instagram I'll keep people updated on on all that I'm trying so hard to like stay quiet, but I'm bursting. 
Yeah. I'm just giddy. I'm so giddy. That's incredible. Oh, thank you. Me every day. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're bad ass. Literally doing so many bad things. Ass girl. So and helping people, like spreading awareness. Like that's what I mentioned to you earlier today with drinks. I was just like, I'm just so proud of you on how you were able to like take something you went through that was so traumatic and like turn it into this movement, you know? Oh, thank you. Yeah, I am too. Like I really, I, it doesn't, it doesn't, what's the word? I, I don't miss that. But I really am aware of just like, wow, this was really, really shitty and look at what we've made out of it. And like, I do make sure to like, and I, I do this with all the people I work with too. I'm like, it's so easy. I do this too, to look ahead and be like, what's next? What do I want to do now? What do I want to accomplish now? But I'm like, it's really important to like, look back and be like, look how far we've come. This is amazing. Yeah. So thank you. Do you remember the song, How Far We've Come by Matchbox 20? Oh my God. Is it like, let anyone and everyone? <laughs> I don't think I know Play it. Play softly in the background. It's like, Curse, you've heard it. It's like, let's see how far we've come. And then it's like, I believe the world is I feel like that's one of those songs that like only Canadians know. You know, those songs that like aren't that, like we think they aren't that Canadian, but apparently Americans have never heard them before. Yeah. I'm going to play a clip right now. Insert. Yeah. It's really important. It's really important to this interview. <laughs> I think the rest of the interview should be to the tune of that song. Okay, Marley, you mentioned courtrooms a little bit ago. We want to talk to you about restorative justice, which is a huge part of the work you do and is something that I know very little about. So I'm personally really excited to learn more. Um, but for any listeners like me who don't know what restorative justice is, can you explain what it is? Yeah. So restorative justice is opposite to punitive justice. And punitive justice is what pretty much all of us think of when we think of like the criminal justice system. So restorative justice focuses on repair. So like it looks at the harm caused and it's like, let's focus on like repairing and healing that harm. And then punitive justice focuses on punishment. So it's like, who do we need to punish? Um, often with punitive justice, we turn away from the survivor completely because we're so focused on punishing the perpetrator that we just like completely neglect the person who was hurt. Um, yeah, and then restorative justice is rooted in indigenous, Jewish and Mennonite cultures. And then the punitive system is more of like a colonial line. Mm, interesting. Can you describe like how your process with restorative justice began? Totally. So after I experienced that sexual trauma, I literally Googled with a roommate, I literally Googled, what do you do after sexual trauma? And it was like, you go to the hospital, you get a rape kit, and then you report. And so I was like, totally in a state of shock and distress and all these things. And I was just like, going through the motions with that. And when they asked me, do you want to report? 
they were like, you can either report this and start going through the punitive system, hopefully, or you can go home and do nothing. And I was like, well, I don't, I don't want to do nothing. And I also can't imagine like going home and like what watching Netflix, like, what do I, what do I even do right now? So I did a report and I ended up going through the punitive system for three years. And so after two years, that meant I went to a preliminary trial, which is like not the full out criminal trial, but it's basically one to see, is there enough evidence for the full out one? But it's still like in a courtroom and you're on the stand and all that stuff. And it was horrible. It was like, I think we all know that nobody's like, oh, what a great day. Like we all know that a courtroom experience sucks. And there's just so many questions that like, really by the end of the day, I was like, am I on trial? Like, did I do something wrong? Like, it was just so, it was so horrible. It was so cold. Like my assailant just sat there and he was like a total stranger to me. And there was so many questions I like wanted to ask him. He just like sat there staring at the ground the whole day while I was on the stand being like tormented. And I was just like, this doesn't make any sense. Like it doesn't make any sense. And after that trial, they were like, there is enough evidence to go to a criminal trial. And at that point, so at that point it had been two years since the assault. And after that trial, I was like, that was so brutal. I'm not even going to think about this for a while. Like, I'm just going to focus on my healing. I'm going to go to therapy. I'm going to like do my best to move forward. Like, but it did feel like such a kind of setback in my healing. Like it brought me right back to right after trauma. And so when another year passed and I was subpoenaed for the criminal trial, so they were like, here's the date of the criminal trial. You have to come on the stand again. I was like, I think you're going to drop the charges. Like, I don't want to fucking do this again. And, and what's the point? Like, I was like, in most cases, the perpetrator gets acquitted. So they get off with no punishment. And then in the quote, quote, best case scenario, he would be incarcerated. And I was like, well, do I really believe that that is something that is going to make him a safer, better person and is going to help stop rape culture? And I was like, well, not, not really. Like, so I was just like, this is done. Like, I was like, I don't want to do this. And I was like, ready to drop the charges. But I was so like, I didn't feel good about that. Like I felt devastated and I felt like there was like a lot of emptiness and so many things that I needed to happen. So much closure I needed that wasn't happening. So I was like devastated. And I said to a friend, like, I'm going to drop the charges. And she said to me, well, if it was your dream world and I didn't know that restorative justice existed at all and that's like a big part of the work I do um she was like in your world if you could if anything could happen what would you want to happen and I was like well we would not be in a courtroom we'd like sit down like actual humans and I would get to ask the questions I've been wanting to ask for literally years and I would like get to express how horrible this was for me and to hopefully hear an apology and I would want him to like actually do some deep freaking work to like change and be a better person. And she just looked at me and said, so make it happen. 
And I was like, whoa. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> when a friend says that, it's like, like going, okay. okay. Does that make it happen? Okay. Yeah. It was like, <laughs> I, I think this is relatable in so many experiences of life, but I had like deemed what I wanted so delusional and unlikely that I was like, there's no point of trying. And when she said that, I was like, well, maybe there is like, maybe I should validate this, what I want and need enough to try and like act on it. So it kind of like lit a fire in my ass and I started researching and that's when I found restorative justice. And I was like, what the fuck? I was like, this thing has a name and a lineage. And like, I've basically been telling therapists and legal professionals and police officers that like this is exactly what I want. I just didn't have the name. And not one person was like, oh, we should inform you about alternatives to the punitive system. So it was just wild. And then I got connected with a lawyer because I literally put in my Instagram story, does anyone know anything about restorative justice? And <laughs> I didn't know. See, this is where social media comes in. That's handy. true. So then that's how I got. Someone was like, well, I don't, but my friend does. And then that friend was like this lawyer. So I got connected with this lawyer. We called a meeting with the crown attorneys in the States. That's like prosecutors assigned to the case. And I told them I wanted restorative justice. And it was very like, um, there was like two people in the room and one of them was like, that's not how we do things. And she was kind of like, she kind of was like, do you have Stockholm syndrome? Rob? She's like, don't you understand that rape is bad? Like, Oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I was like, yeah, I think it's so bad that we have to acknowledge that sexual assault rates haven't declined in 20 years and we should probably try doing something different. And the other person in the room was like, kind of that she was like I've been in this um job for so long and I see victims re-traumatized and rapists acquitted and people incarcerated who then re-offend and come out more angry and it just continues and she was like we should be doing something different so we left the room and the two of them literally fought for my case for like a month and I had no idea what was going to happen it's this very weird in between time and then I did get a call and they were like, this is going to happen. Um, that one crown attorney like fought for it. And mm, yes. Wow. Yeah. Like bless her. Her name's Kara Sweeney. She's a star. We love her. Um, love you. <laughs> that's so cute. And now I have to tell her this. Love like, you. Wow. <laughs> I love you so much. <laughs> that's so cute. Um, fun fact. She asked me to go to a Beyonce dance class with her recently. And I was like, I love that my once crown attorney assigned to my sexual assault case is now wants to go to Beyonce. I was like, this is a sign of a good life. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, I don't want a lawyer unless she's asking me to go to Beyonce dance class. Totally. I just don't. Totally. So yeah, I got that call and they were like, your assailant is going to begin therapy right away. And he did therapy for seven months and then we met in a eight hour circle that was a very meaningful moment like that was honestly one of the most meaningful moments because I was like wow for the first freaking time since this trauma somebody's actually listening to my voice like somebody's actually caring about what I want and don't want so that was like already really healing I always say like the second we pivoted from punitive to restorative every single moment became 
like about healing and reformation and all these things. So yeah, he started therapy right away and he was in therapy for about seven months. And then once it was like decided that he was ready and I felt ready, we met in this mediated restorative justice circle, which ended up lasting eight hours and something about restorative justice is it acknowledges that more than one person's impacted by trauma. It's like, wow, when a trauma happens, it hurts the community. So they were like, who else is impacted? So for that reason, like my mom sat in the circle, my sister sat in the circle. um, And that was really powerful because this like changed their lives in such a big way as well. Wow. And was there a mediator? Was there someone who was constructing the conversation for eight hours? <laughs> totally, totally. So there was um, two trained mediators there. And when I say it's eight hours, a lot of people are like, oh my God, that sounds insane and horrible. And I'm like, it was only eight hours because I needed it to be eight hours. Like it was like, I, they were, they were like, we're not leaving this room until everyone feels like they've gotten what they need and like a sense of closure and everything. So I'm really grateful that it was eight hours and it wasn't like, you know, the vibes of the courtroom where it's like, we're on a schedule, we have next case to do. Like there's actually time and resources and space to like breathe and cry and have feelings and emotions and like speak. So they literally, the mediators just asked us, um, what brought you here today? And that's like all they asked. They would have asked more if we like needed it, but that's all they said. And then each of us just like spilled our fucking guts out. (laughs) And like, that felt so good too, because I was like, I've been holding so much in for years. And I actually have the time and space to say it now. And nobody's being like, hurry up. And nobody's doing that stupid fucking courtroom thing of being like, you're being too emotional or you're not being emotional and likable enough or whatever. It was just like, be real. And that's good. Wow. So that yeah. is incredible. It is. Because I, I never even thought about this too much, but I feel like the court systems already can just make you feel so rigid and like it's not a safe space. No, it's really, really, really not. And they are very like it's known that what they're trying to do to victims on the stand is they're trying to discredit you. So they try to get you so um, in such a deep state of trauma brain, like brain fog, that you no longer are able to respond coherently. And then they're like, well, if she can't do that, how do we know she's not lying about all of this? Like, it's, wow. it's really like, I honestly think it's very inhumane and like abusive, I would say. Yeah, yeah. we've seen I it over and so. over with all of these cases. And this restorative justice case, Marley made history right in North America yeah so this is the first time that restorative justice was done for sexual assault through the courts that's fucking badass yeah it is badass and I literally was talking to someone from like CBC today about potential project on this and we were both like I don't I also don't know where it's happened in the world like there's no There's cases of people meeting with their assailant like after that person's incarcerated or like completely outside of the system, like in their own communities, setting up 
circles, which is like so valid and it's just a different thing. So it's like, yeah, I don't know. I think it's very like, yeah, I think it's very like set a precedent. I'm so grateful that I was able to like access this and have that. And I think there's definitely like privilege interwoven in that for sure. Um, but it really was like such an incredible experience and it was still hard. Like I always say, there's not going to be a perfect, like there's not going to be a perfect justice pathway because in an ideal world, we don't need a justice pathway to deal with rape. We just don't have rape at all. Um, but it was so much more healing. And like, there was that moment where my assailant did like take accountability and say like, I'm sorry, I did sexually assault you. And like, there's nothing I can do to take it back, but I hope that being here today can help. And that might sound like just words to people, but like, it was, I broke down in tears and it felt like relief. Like it felt like it was like something I'd been holding onto for a long time. I was able to let go of. And then we were able to really focus on like, what happens now moving forward? Like, how do we, what do I want to see him do in the world? Like, what kind of person is he committed to being? Like, what do I need in order to heal more? What do I need to hear? So it actually became like very hopeful and like eventually very lighthearted, which is wild to me. Um, and we left the room that day and all of us were like, the world really fucking needs to know about this. And like every survivor, even if they don't want it, which is totally valid, every survivor deserves to know about this. Cause like, I think back to that moment where I reported and they said, you can either do the punitive system or you can go home. And it's like, imagine in that moment, someone had said, there's actually an alternate, like some alternative options we can talk to you about. Right. So I'm just like, have the, the, yeah, the world needs to be like asking survivors what we actually need and want and letting us access the things that like truly feel healing rather than dragging us through these re-traumatizing system. So that's why I'm like so passionate about sharing this. Yeah. Yeah. Because there are so many important, so many important pieces of the puzzle, but the most important is your healing, how you feel, how you come out of the situation. And if you had continued with the punitive court system, mm-hmm. you, you wouldn't have got what you got in restorative mm-hmm. justice. Yeah. And I think I'd be worse off. Like I said, after the preliminary trial, I was like, well, fuck, like now I'm right back to where I was right after trauma. And it's like in a criminal trial, you know, the person's been handed a script of what to say in order, like they just lie. And I'm like, that's infuriating. Like that's, that's just like horrible. Especially for someone who's already been through so much. Oh my God. Yeah. It makes my blood boil. Yeah, me too. I shared some like resources for books about all of this on my Instagram today, but Chanel Miller's book, Know My Name. Um, she's the person who was yes. assaulted by Brock Turner. Her memoir is so powerful and gorgeous and good. And it really like breaks down the criminal justice system. And it's yeah, super recommend with super recommend with a big trigger warning. Yes, definitely. And we're going to put trigger warnings all over this episode, but that's that sounds like an amazing resource. I've been dying to read that book. Do you have any other resources for restorative justice 
or trauma-informed pleasure, or even just trauma in general that you could share with other survivors who are listening right now? Yeah, I mean, I have so many and I will name some of them. And just to make it easy, I will disclaimer it by being like, all of these are in the link in my bio on Instagram. Yeah, they are, girl. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, just go to the link in my bio. If you, yeah, my Instagram's Marley List. So M-A-R-L-E-E-L-I-S-S. And you'll see everything there. I'm constantly sharing resources like the books that I just mentioned and trauma-informed pleasure tips and restorative justice principles and things on that page. Um, if you click the link in my bio, you'll see um that I have like plenty of workshops and like I said do a lot of speaking engagements so if someone's listening and you're like wow my community or my campus or an organization I'm part of would really benefit from these conversations you can learn more about that there if you go to my website you'll find a whole resource my girlfriend's gonna walk in now hey we'll cute- oh hey Britt we'll have a cute little moment we'll have a cute little moment <laughs> moment <laughs> yeah. come on a can we leave this Come in? Join. Yes. Hi. 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 Look at me. Me. Oh, hey, Aww, Brett. Hi. Aw. <laughs> so cute. So lovely. Aw. <laughs> it's adorable. I love this. This is so cute. Oh, my favorite resource I want to mention is that my girlfriend and I now have a joint TikTok account, and it's Marley and Brett. <laughs> and I need every single listener to go follow it. Please do. Um, we'll link it out. Guys, seriously, follow it right now. It's really good. It's really good. We're really cute. Good to see you both. You good too. To see you. Miss you. I'll come, I'll come summon you in like five minutes. Okay. I love you. Um, <laughs> so cute, cute. cute. That's an important resource. That's the most important resource out That's of this the most important conversation. Part. Trauma and all that, but mostly we're my girlfriend and I are really cute. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are freaking cute. You are. Like it's ridiculous. Thank you. That's really nice. <laughs> Um, I do think that like queer representation is a very real resource so we can throw that in but yeah in terms of resources I do have like a free training that people will find again link in bio on sensual self-love and embodied safety and it works with a lot of the things we talked about today in terms of like somatic awareness and just like trauma-informed intimacy and all of those things. I also have an ebook with like journal practices on integrating all of those things. So there's a lot of resources there. I could name like a bunch more, but I'll just let you discover them in the link in my bio. Yes. I, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna go do the um the uh training you just talked about. Yes. The somatic one. Me too, actually. Yeah. I think I could really benefit from that. Me too. I think I need it like today. <laughs> like yesterday. yesterday. <laughs> Oh my gosh, let me know how it goes. And oh, I'll also say like for anyone listening, um, Instagram is definitely the platform I use most. And like, these are very real, big, inspiring, potentially triggering conversations and just don't hesitate. Like I'm a human, don't hesitate to reach out and DM me. You can ask questions, you can ask for resources, you can say hi. Um, I'm always like very happy to connect with people. Marley, thank you so much for hanging out with us. This was such an educational conversation. It, I feel like I came away from this feeling so inspired to learn more about all of this. Me too. And you explained so eloquently. Like, I mean, no wonder you're a speaker. <laughs> you're like, it's literally what I do, guys. 
Are you surprised that I explained eloquently? I still love to hear it. <laughs> the validation is nice. No, yeah, it is. The, the parts of me that have imposter syndrome and like shit my pants at doing like trainings for university faculty, whatever, are like, thank you so much for saying that. <laughs> <laughs> the imposter syndrome is real in all of us. It is. It is real. <laughs> But I honestly think like my personal biggest takeaway from this is that all sex should be trauma-informed sex. I think that is such a mind-blowing like breakthrough idea for me. And I just really, I want to dig into all of your resources and learn as much as I can about that. Because I, I think that we could all better ourselves from it. No matter how we identify um, se- like sexually either. I feel like as a straight person, I would really benefit from this. Yeah, it's definitely something that I would love to see absolutely every person in our world's like incorporating into their lives. Definitely if people just like scroll through my Instagram posts, there are like so like a year's worth of posts on that topic. So wow. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This has been like so fun and good. And I was telling Persis today that like your podcast is just so good and y'all are so good at creating Thank you. like a really natural like I'm like like I feel like the topics I talk about are so intense that like sometimes it can be really awkward and people can be really like oh like but it's just like it's been so natural and fun and deep and real so yeah thank you yeah we well we appreciate you and for being so open and we just love you so much I can't wait to talk about my glimmers we should have like a glimmer chat I love that I love that. I love you. I, this is so fun. Also, like, kind of slumber party vibes because it's so late here. And I'm like, so excited. <laughs> Sorry, it's so late, guys. I, I always feel like it's my fault when it gets late over there. And I'm like, it's only 730 here. And you guys are doing it this late because <laughs> of me, basically. No, it was good. It was perfect. Persis and I got to have, like, dinner, drinks. This is ending just as my girlfriend gets home. It's, like, perfectly timed. In case you missed it, in case you missed it, in case you missed it, <laughs> the in case you missed it portion of our podcast happens at the end of every episode. If this is for some reason the first episode you've ever listened to, hi, welcome. And every week we talk about something going on in queer pop culture or queer news that you might have missed. Um, and since we've been off for a month, There were a lot of things that happened in the queer zeitgeist, of course, but there was one thing in particular that we thought was interesting that we wanted to talk about. Persis, what is it? Yes, we do want to be clear that this did happen really early in August, but I think this is still an important topic that we shouldn't forget about. And I would love to hear what you guys have to say, and I'd love to discuss this with Sarah. So Demi Lovato had explained her decision to use she and her again in her pronouns, but she was getting so much hate for adding she, her to her pronouns after coming out as non-binary. I think it might've been last year Demi did, but the internet just blew up about this. And people were saying, they like they were getting angry, saying, see, she's so confused. She wants attention. I actually have someone on my Facebook who I don't talk to at all. It's just literally someone I have on Facebook who posted on their story saying, see, this is what drugs does to you. 
when oh god oh when uh okay when demi changed her pronouns and i was like yeah you're so right like you know drugs the first thing they're gonna do to you is make you want to accept gender fluidity and change your <laughs> pronouns and you know identify as a human with many different facets like yeah that's what that's what they do so thank you so much for informing me listen i'm just going to try and jump into the brain of someone who felt angry about these changes to pronouns or felt confused i think pronouns are a big question mark for a lot of people still as much as it would be nice to sit here and be like everyone just accept everyone for what they say they are like the reality is pronouns are confusing for people and people are still wrapping their heads around them because it is a fairly new thing in um, our culture right now. And so the the changing of the pronouns in such a short time frame, I think is like, was like adding fuel to that fire of like <clears throat> confusion or people feeling like inconvenienced for having to call someone by the pronouns that they want to be called by. I'm not I'm not giving excuses at all. I'm just trying to figure out like why people might be angry and I feel like it it's all like a, a comes from a place of confusion and not understanding and fear. I want to add as well that Demi didn't change her pronouns. She's added She's added she, her, because she also expressed, like, I have a feminine side that I've really been getting in touch with. So I'm pretty sure in her new Insta bio, I'm pretty, I'm just going to confirm this. Yeah. So Demi had it just to clarify so that I know the right story. Demi had announced that she wanted to, that um, she identified as they, them pronouns and then added she, her pronouns to that in, at the beginning of August. Yes. So on okay, Demi's profile right now, it says they, them, she, her. Okay. Okay. Great distinction, Purse. Thank you for calling me out on that. It was an addition and not a change. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I find that's such a, that's a very interesting topic because I think that I will always just, listen to the person for how they identify and changing pronouns and gender is fluid. It's almost how like I, my sexuality changed, you know, I, I went from straight to bi to gay. I think I kind of try to view it like that because I find like no one can really tell you how you identify sexual sexually or as your gender. So even if Demi did identify as non-binary and then maybe maybe said, I actually, I really identify as being a woman. I just think, I I just personally think, of course, like all of that's okay. But I do understand what the point you brought up, Sarah, too, is that maybe a lot of this comes from a place of fear when people react with anger. Like maybe they're just feeling so confused. And we've kind of heard that argument too, like people can't keep up with pronouns anymore or how do you identify if people find it to be such a burden or they don't want to like make a mistake or say the wrong thing? Right. I think that's, that's the kind of fear that I would imagine is coming up. It's the fear of saying the wrong thing or getting, um, 
called out or singled out for mispronouncing someone. Mispronoun. Mispronouncing. Misgendering. Misgendering. (laughs) Misgendering, maybe. (laughs) I'm just making up words here on the podcast. Um, and I do actually think that's a valid fear. Like in like in our culture right now, it is scary to get called out because of cancel culture and all that stuff. Um, and I think all of that can be true. And at the same time, the thing we always come back to when we're having a pronoun conversation on this podcast is like, it's not about you. And it never will be and it never was. It's about that person and how they identify and the pronouns that they want to be called by in that moment and they will communicate that to you and that's also their responsibility to communicate that to you if that's if that's what they want and which is what Demi did Demi was like hey world add she her to the mix because you know what there is a feminine side to me that I'm really in touch with right now and Demi has every right in the world two months from now to be like you know what I would actually prefer they them that feels better to me you know how much and oh sorry. No, you go. No, I had nothing else to say. <laughs> I just wanted to say that like I really commend her for doing that because I don't know if it's very common. I don't I don't think I hear about that story that often. Like I think um I wanna say I think Kaylani is she, her, they, them as well. But I don't know if they, they both have different platforms. They're both very, very prominent, famous people. But I think for Demi to like publicly state that I think is a very important thing because I think it shows others it's okay to be fluid with your gender. It's okay to add. It's okay to take away. The same as like people coming out being like, hey, I'm gay now. Or you know what? I'm not actually, I don't think I'm gay. Maybe I'm um, bi. Like, kind of similar Demi did the same thing at one point Demi said I think I'm too queer to date a man and that's how she was feeling a year ago now she's in a relationship with um I want to I don't know how he identifies but I a cis presenting man who's a singer and she's completely in love she's she's been talking about this relationship and she calls him he so I think I think all of that is okay like it's it's her life you know and I like that she's being vocal and changing and saying things. I think, yes, because that, that's yeah. how life is. Well, yeah, and you're right. It's it's an invitation to to more people to be for more people to know it's okay to be fluid. It's also just like a representation of fluidity. And unfortunately, Demi is the kind of person who's going to like take on all the flack from people for that representation. And, but the more people like Demi and Kalani who continue to do that, you know, down the road, fluidity is going to be a much more normalized thing in culture. There, there's not going to be as much backlash and haters, but um, it is, I mean, it's just kind of a thing where like Demi takes a lot, you know, Demi takes a lot of shit. She takes the brunt of a lot of um, backlash. And this is just another example of her, showing that something's possible in her typical confident way (laughs) what's wrong with being what's wrong with being but I wanted to mention I had a lot of anxiety I remember when I switched from bi to gay I was just gonna say that like I thought people were gonna I really thought people were gonna think I was like faking it the entire time I was bi or Mm -hmm. they'd say oh I don't know they'd have judgments and 
do you remember even uh, teen, which I'm sure she'll be okay with us calling this out because she mentioned it on the episode she was on, but she was saying she's kind of struggled sometimes with having like a label outside of queer because she's been nervous to like come out as something. And then maybe what if she changes one day or feels an attraction for someone where that she doesn't really fit in with her label. People get that fear all the time. And I think like, it's so easy to just be like, we shouldn't care, but like we do. Oh yeah. I mean, we've heard it in so many queer stories on the podcast and off the podcast. Like, oh, is it okay for me to to come out to the world in some way, whether it's gender or sexuality, because then I can't go back. I'm using air quotes, guys. Does that mean I can't go back? And I just love that Demi is showing that, of course you can, you can do whatever you want. It's you and your identity and your gender, and it's all up to you at any given moment, whether that's today, tomorrow, a year from now. And like, that's pretty liberating, I think and ultimately is going to make more positive change down the road, even with all these people. I think people just get triggered. I don't know what it is. Specifically by Demi Lovato. <laughs> I don't know what. Maybe we can unpack that on an episode or something. I really don't know as much about Demi as you do, but people have something, something that bothers them. I think the thing with Demi is that, and she's admitted this, she is the type of person who doesn't really have a filter. Like she's admitted, like I've said some very problematic things on my social media that I look back at and should have checked myself or I shouldn't have said this. I think, and hey, I like Demi because I find, I like people who are kind of um, outspoken. And of course there are things Demi has done that I don't agree with. Like with her call out for the big chill, I thought was really unnecessary. Like that to me, I was like, I hope maybe she reflected on that and was like, oh, I shouldn't have called this business out because- you know, that whole like diabetic thing and sugar-free ice cream. Like, like I kind of, I saw both sides as the typical Libra in me, but at the end of the day, I was like, Demi, like, I see what you're saying, but you also have to look at the bigger picture of this business and how they need um, ice cream for people who are diabetic, all that stuff. But I think sometimes people think Demi's just a very attention seeker type of person. And I don't like that. I think that's very... I think that's pretty damaging. Like, I think she's she's just a person who is maybe a little more outspoken than some other celebrities. And I think, yes, some things she says aren't always 100% great. But at the end of the day, like, I think she is someone who also takes accountability, which I appreciate. Yeah. And it's it feels authentic to me because it seems like it's the only way she can be. <laughs> Even in her lyrics, <laughs> and her I think song she- lyrics. Yeah, she owns up to it. She's like, this is the only way I know how to be. And I'm not, I I literally can't be any different. (laughs) And I really admire that. And I look up to that. And I just feel like anyone listening right now who is having that feeling that Persis described of like, can I claim this? Because what if I want to change that claim at some point? Don't worry about that. Just like (laughs) coming from such a privileged position, but in a perfect world, you wouldn't have to worry about that because you can just be who you are in that moment. It's true. And I wish it was that simple, but I won't call this friend out, but I literally had a friend who DM'd me the story about Demi and all they said in the thing in their message was, I can't with Demi. And the message was the the article you sent me, Sarah, which was Demi is going or adding she, her. 
to her pronouns. And I was like, I didn't even respond, but I just thought like, I know you probably don't mean that maliciously, but this, this shows why people are so afraid to change. Like that almost made me think like, would I really be comfortable going up to that person and tell, and tell them maybe something changed in my sexuality. And it's funny because I know that person would be okay with it. Cause I've kind of talked to them about certain things and they've always been very open, but it's the same with pronouns, right? Like gender, gender is also a part of that. Like why sexuality can be fluid. So can gender. Yeah, totally. Totally. I just think people lose, lose the plot a little bit. Sometimes they let their own like frustrations or personal opinions take over and they lose the bigger picture, which is that everyone has the um, right to be and identify with whoever and whatever they want in that moment. And hopefully like the more big names that speak openly about these things, the more it can be normalized and I'm I'm just waiting like okay five ten years down the road finally we'll all just like be chill about pronouns. <laughs> I think we will, and like kudos. I would hope so. Kudos to people like Demi, and kudos to others as well. Like I just think you're right. We need we need like big big names, like all saying it. And I mean we we do actually have a lot of good rep. I think especially for like I don't know. I think even the people we've kind of grew up listening to. I'm trying to actually think how many of them might actually be openly like queer or openly like non-binary. Especially, especially from our generation, because I feel like mm. they had to like grow up kind of with the same fears and like judgment because like, society only started like really being okay with this. Not like not a long time ago, you know, like this was all recent. I would say like a few years ago. Yeah. 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 Totally. It's all new. Mm-hmm. It's all new, but guys, you got to roll with the punches. The times are a changing. The times are a changing because we all been gay. We all been non-binary. <laughs> we all been gay. <laughs> <laughs> I have my favorite part of this interview, guys, was when uh, I'm not going to be able to quote it directly. Maybe we can pull a clip, but it's when Marley was like, I love, oh, what did she say? She was like, I love my gay life. I love my girlfriend. I love, I love being gay. She like listed all, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Yes. It was great. It was literally like all the things about being gay, like that we just love so much. I love it. Marley loves it. We all love it. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, same. Hey, you never know, Sarah. Of course, you never know. <laughs> Listen, I would never sit here after on season three of Girl and Girl podcast and be like, the sexuality is fluid, y'all. Yeah, exactly. There is like no other way around it. But that being said, Sarah and I are going to have some alone time. Yeah, we're going to go have some alone time. Um, and also our recording is running out of time. <laughs> But we're so happy to be back. We, I think, I think we feel good. I feel like a little rusty, but um, I'm just excited to have more of these conversations with you guys. It's a really, as we've talked about many times, it's like one of the best parts of my week. Me too. And if you guys have any guest ideas or if there's anything Sarah and I are missing that you're like, talk to this person, 
they're amazing. Get them on the pod or we really want to learn about this topic. Please reach to, reach to us, reach out reach. to me. Reach out touch and me. touch me. Exactly. Reach out and touch us um, so we can make that happen. Yep, please do. DM us anytime. <laughs> love you, Purse. Love you, Sarah. <laughs> Thanks, Marley. We love you too.